king is he? But can I have somebody tell me what a king is? What do they do? Yes, sir. They do rule a kingdom. What's their most important job? Make the rules. It's a great definition. Catherine, do you have any ideas? <laughs> Dad, Colin? Okay. So yes, kings make rules. Um, kings are justly called gods, so that they exercise a manner or resemblance of divine power on earth. For if you will consider the attributes to God, you shall see how they agree in the person of a king. God hath power to create or destroy, make or unmake at his pleasure, to give life or send death, to judge all and to be judged nor accountable to none. To raise low things and make high things low at his pleasure. And to God are both souls and bodies too. And like power have kings. They make and unmake their subjects. They have power of raising and casting down. Of life and of death. Judges over all their subjects and in all causes. And yet accountable to none but God only. So this is actually a speech that was offered by King James I of England in 1609. And his view of the monarchy and the role of a king is very different than what we've seen today. But it gives us a small glance of what the world of kingship has been in the past. For if we think of the role of a king in his day, we think of kings on their thrones organizing wars and continents that they never visited. And more often than not, we believe that these kings are people of the past. We think of the nationalistic endeavors of white men in power over the entire known world, who wage wars with their cousins, who are also kings, to accrue more wealth, more power, and more land, much of it not even belonging to any of them in the first place. In the absence of absolute monarchy, these are things that we can associate with kingship. For as King James I has explained, the king has been appointed by God and rules the life of his people. The king has the power to bring life or death, not only to an individual, but to an entire nation. And James I actually even goes as far as to say that God considers kings themselves to be divine to be God's appointed over their nation, God's who answer to God alone. And while this definition of kingship is likely far removed from what we would see and should be offensive to us today, James doesn't actually stray far from the biblical text in his understanding of kingship. For if we look at the Old Testament, the kings of Israel, David in his splendor, the man of, after God's own heart, the, Sol the wisdom of Solomon, and the grandeur of his temple, is also contrasted by the tyranny of the kings that followed them, the ones who erected altars and told to worship other gods, who terrorized prophets 
and murdered the priests of Israel. In that day, the role of the king was intended to be that of shepherd, of merciful judge, who cared for the widowed and orphaned, who communed with God for direction on the behalf of his people, and at times even functioned as savior for each person in his nation, as a defender against others. This isn't always what we have seen, but this is what was intended. This would have been Israel's understanding of a true and faithful king. This would have been the kind of savior that a Jewish community was looking for. The savior of the people of Israel come to set his people free. This role of savior, however, came with large strings attached. The people of Israel were looking for a savior one who would throw off the oppression of surrounding nations and establish a new kingdom, the kingdom of Israel proper. In addition to this, just as kings, like the absolute monarchies described earlier, the king of Israel would be the person ultimately responsible for the faith of the people. While the priests were leaders of cultic ritual and the sacrificial systems, in the end, it was the king that dictated the faith of the nation, the direction that they were headed. For just as David was a man after God's own heart, so Ahab and his wife Jezebel were responsible for idol worship of Baal and Asherah. The faith of the king guides the faith of the people. And as Jesus stood before Pilate in our passage from John, I can't help but imagine that Pilate was thinking, who on earth would think you're a king? Here is Jesus standing before him, brought in by the Jewish religious leaders who were outraged by the thought that Jesus could ever be a king, or even that he could be the king of the Jews. Jesus was a miracle worker, maybe a prophet, maybe a suspicious magician wooing his followers, in the eyes of the Pharisees. Jesus was not the king that they were looking for. As we look through the storytellers that we find in the Gospels, we do not see an obvious political leader, but a shepherd to his followers, a man who wandered Israel for three years, teaching the crowd that followed him wherever he went. Jesus was a great speaker, a great teacher, a great storyteller, a man who could debate anything that the Pharisees questioned him about. But Jesus was still not the king that they were looking for. Whether or not he had claimed kingship outright, his speeches and parables about the kingdom were clearly so subversive to both religious and governmental authority that they brought him before Pilate. Jesus understood the world in a way that was completely different than any other person in power. He cared for the sick. He healed the blind. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. He touched lepers. And he talked in public with known prostitutes. Jesus broke every unwritten social law that they could produce against him. Jesus was definitely not the king they were looking for. Jesus talked about a new heaven and a new earth, 
about all things passing away and becoming new. He even went as far as to talk about the veil in the temple that separated humanity from God and how that would be torn in two. The people would be welcome to talk to God. He talked about eternity as living water. The kingdom explained by Christ, instead of reestablishing Jewish control over their territory, was this amazing reimagination of their entire world around them, their entire way of life. This was a kingdom that brought equality between government, between religion, between the people who are poor and outcast and despised. One finds justice and mercy and the provision of God. And yet somehow, Jesus is definitely not the king that we're looking for. As Jesus stood before Pilate for questioning, the man asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And after some back and forth, Jesus finally answers, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Now, that's the statement in itself. How is the Savior of the world supposed to save people if his kingdom isn't from here? So you are a king, Pilate then asked him. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came in the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to me listens to my voice. It is here in this moment that Jesus claims to be king. And this fact may force us to reconsider how we view kings. While all that we know about kings so far has been true, simply viewing king as a military leader or redeemer of the political system is unfaithful to this text. And while this aspect of kingship has an important place in our understanding of those who have come before us, Jesus is implying something much different, much deeper than what we have seen before. For the followers of Jesus worship him in spirit and in truth. The followers of King Jesus must consider his announcement of kingship as the beginning of a new way of life. For the King of Heaven is present with us through the power of Christ, our Savior King. And yet, if we only look for the kingdom in certain ways, namely in social, political, or economic reform on a governmental and a global level, we may find ourselves waiting a very long time for our Savior King to come. Instead, the kingship Jesus made possible was social, political, and economic, but it was through calling of his people to action to worship him in spirit and in truth, to be holy, to actively live out our redemption in a way that touches the life of each other. This is the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaims. A new way of life in place of an old, broken system. This is Jesus, the king we should be looking for. So 
for those who understand Christ as king, must consider not only the physical implications, but also the ones that are internal, in our hearts and our minds as well. If we take seriously the idea that our king guides every aspect of our life, then Christ as king is the shaper of our shared beliefs together. He's the determiner of a way of life moving forward. Christ is the model of faith in action. Christ as king requires a remolding and reimagining of the entire way we live. And I'm not sure this was the kind of king that they were looking for. In fact, I'm positive this wasn't. How does a king come to spend time healing the poor and the sick, plan to establish his reign on earth? How does a king come to forgive sinners, address the reality of servitude of Rome forced upon Israel? And the answer that we have today, 2,000 plus years later, is that he hasn't, or at least not yet. The people of Israel were so intent on being freed from other nations that they missed the big picture. They were looking for a quick fix to their problems that had developed over hundreds of years. They were looking to escape the consequences of their disobedience. This was the function of Savior that they understood. And after such a long time without control of their own nation, they were looking for someone who would reestablish life, the way that they knew it was intended to be, the way that it used to be. I find that the only person who seems receptive to Christ's declaration at all is Pilate. At the very end of this passage, he, he asked Jesus what is true. And while Jesus hasn't given him an answer in this passage, this is exactly the question that we should be asking. What is true? For at the end, Pilate goes out and says, I find nothing against him. And it's in that moment that we find that Jesus is not such great enemy of the state because his view of kingship is completely different. As Jesus claims for the first time his kingship over the people of Israel, it becomes clear that through his teaching, he has laid out an understanding of the kingdom that is vibrant and life-giving, a kingdom that completely reimagines everything we know. For his kingdom is not of this world, and it is not confined to its rules or to its standards. Instead, the kingdom of heaven is one of justice and mercy, of fellowship with one another. A kingdom that takes seriously the needs for our community, both inside and outside our walls. That we would be faithful to each other. And with Christ as our king, he has made possible participation in that kingdom for all of us. And as his people, we must worship him and listen to his voice. And on this day, where we celebrate Christ as king, we must consider that Christ has called us to a new kingdom that is not of this world.
for he is the king that the Jews were not looking for. But he must now be our king. He must be the one that we are looking for. And the first question that we must ask as we embrace his kingdom is, what is 